Hello again, everyone. I am Mike Senior, and I'm here with composer and musical director John Witten for episode number nine. We are so real nine. kissing distance of double figures. <laughs> and it's Project Studio Tea Break. It is. Happy New Year, Mike. And, and the same to you. It's been a tricky month this last month. Both of us have seen the insides of hospitals. Personally, myself with the most rock and roll injury of all time. In that it's I stunning. Hit my knee on the edge of the worktop, getting out of the bath, and put myself on crutches for six weeks. Hey, ah, <laughs> that's a heavy metal ballad just waiting to happen. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to get that made. Mm. We need kind to... of wordless choirs and stuff. Well, we get we get on to that. And I have a theory about this actually because we've both been afflicted with the hospital visits. I have a theory. I think it is TC electronic giving us both the evil eye you know what that's not unlikely <laughs> they, they heard our review of the, the tc2290 uh, little desktop thing nothing little about it but yes and they've deliberately sent out bad vibes to try and stop us having a further laugh at their continuing line of controllers in that range <laughs> i was going to mention yes. our twitter has been a buzz with people saying have you noticed <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I heard about it by an email from uh, listener John Curtis, who very kindly has given us a shout out on his blog, A Poke in the Ear, and uh, he informed me of the, the expanding product line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's got the EMT 250 reverb, the 8210 classic mix reverb. I'm not sure quite what that's modelling, but I listened to it, and it is far and away the most 80s sounding product demo I've heard in a long time. <laughs> There was like the 80s kind of nasty drum sounds, cheesy keyboards, and you know that clean kind of rhythm pick guitar straight out of Lady in Red? Oh, wow. It was, it was, it was a real Christopher moment. It was all there. Yeah. And they've got a spatial expander. Although, actually, I listened to the demo of the spatial expander, and it was it was rather lovely. It's a really okay. nice kind of rich, enveloping stereo chorusing effect. Decent monocompatibility. I can actually imagine using that if I could just ditch the little hardware controller. <laughs> if you could make it slightly more... Portable. Indeed. On Twitter, it was John... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. John Tiddy? John Tidy? Oh, right. Yes, of course, of the mastering show. This is the man at the Audio Geek. John Today, we're going to call him, um, <laughs> asks, did we see that TC released a few more paperweights for their plug-in? Which... <laughs> Just about sums it up for me, you know. As you say, we're not getting at the plugins. There is some brilliant processing hidden deep inside these like '80s coffins. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, the more I thought that this could just continue to eat itself. You know, mm. the logical endpoint is that the entire range of plugins will have a whole set of hardware controllers, and you'll have where you've got rid of all the equipment. You'll now just have racks and racks of hardware controllers, and then <laughs> there will come some manufacturer who does a virtual version yes. of the hardware dongle that draws yes. your plug-in. Emulate this huge rack of entirely unnecessary blocks. I mean, obviously, if you modelled this hardware controller in software, then you could have as many as you want. You wouldn't just have to have the one. Just <laughs> imagine. Like. <laughs> I have been imagining. I've been seeing that world and realising that I hope I've died out by then. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Maybe the whole knee bashing thing was just a a general masochistic thing, just trying to finish myself off before the virtual, physical, virtual, physical controllers take over the world. This isn't a world you want to live in anymore. I was also thrilled that John Curtis also (laughs) said he had difficulty referring to our podcast by its normal acronym of PSTV, and he tended to call it PTSD. I'm like, are we too late for a rebrand? I can kind of get that. Because I have a lot of love for (laughs) PTSD. Oh, we've had so many shout-outs as well. I mean, not only has John Tidy come onto the Twitter and we've had John Curtis in his blog, but... 
Also, this month, the Phonolog podcast, a German language podcast from Matthias Fromm and uh, Boni Sturve, I think are the names, mm-hmm. which are fabulous names. Um, and Matthias was, again, very kind about us in his podcast. But, most fittingly, in announcing our name on the podcast, he managed to facepalm himself live. Oh. He forgot the podcast name in announcing the podcast. Oh, a beautiful thing. And they had to go look it up on his phone, like, for 20 seconds live. It's like, <laughs> I know it's here somewhere. It's got to be... Ad- <laughs> Oh my it was goodness. fitting. It was I the mean, perfect kind of monument to us. And they get a PSTB PTSD salute for, for not editing that out, for not <laughs> pretending that that was on the tip of the tongue, <laughs> for consigning us to absolutely where oh. we should be, something half-remembered somewhere in a telephone. He is clearly one of our tribe. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, if you're listening. Um, very much appreciate the hello. Also, following up from last month, I was checking out some of the Tom Lehrer stuff. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, and another highlight people have got to check out is a song he did called I Hold Your Hand in Mine. (laughs) It's short and perfect. It's so brilliant because (laughs) you hear the first couple of lines and you think you know what this song's going to be like and it just totally turns it on the other. And I can't resist doing a spoiler here. I'll give you the first verse of the lyric. I was going to say... I hold your hand in mine, dear. Beautiful. I press it to my lips. So romantic. I take a healthy bite from your dainty fingertips. (laughs) (laughs) And it just gets better and better as it goes on. It does. It's just so good. (laughs) But also, I was amazed how how actually politically edgy he was. Mm-hmm. The concert I saw was like, I think, 50s, and he was really going into the whole um, East-West thing and stuff to do with environmental pollution. He's, he's really not taking any prisoners. Nuclear disarmament? Not at all. I mean, he's ex-military as well. Well, there you go. Although, it's got to be said, he had equal satirical bite for the left because he has one folk song that he plays. And the introduction for that is, um, of course, it takes a lot of courage to get up in one of these cafes (laughs) and come out for things that everyone else in the cafe is against, like peace and brotherhood. (laughs) All delivered with this perfectly deadpan attitude. Then, I mean, as Brits, I think we appreciate deadpan. That's true. Although I did also, I checked out the Weird Al complicated one and that was also fabulous that, i mean thank you i feel very validated again i have to reiterate my favorite line which is i'll go to alabama where that kind of thing is tolerated <laughs> so is good brilliant so good <laughs> just so it's worked to death and beyond it's the Stuart lee approach to comedy where you you do it while it's funny then you do it until it gets boring and then you push through mm. to kind of funny again but the one i forgot to mention that i should have been right on the tip of my tongue oh yeah was ilvis ilvis there are a couple of ilvis videos that everyone but everyone has to see which is one is someone like me which is where he does this kind of mashup between musical theater kind of cliche and dubstep oh. and another one called Acapella where he just ruthlessly pillories pentatonics and all the new acapella things because we John and I both have skin in the game on the acapella front it, no this is true we both just love that kind of style it's personal with us and it is Laser guided. If you haven't come across Pentatonics, Pentatonics are the sparkly clean poster children for modern a cappella. <laughs> There's a line in the lyrics that sums it up perfectly. Oh, what's that? Which is um, they're, they're talking about the things they do and they're their characters and they say woolen hats, leather straps, <laughs> big smile on my face like I know Jesus personally. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's, it's just, yes, that's exactly the face. And it tells you everything you need to know about them. And as we were saying before we started recording in our kind of top secret chats where we, where we discuss all the, the secret goings on. Um, sorry, sir. it's a good song. Like, this is the yes. problem. It's, it's a huge p- take, but it will also have you with that kind of warm, glowy feeling that good acapella gives you. And... 
I, I feel kind of violated by that. It manipulates you while making fun of the fact that it's manipulating it, you. Exactly. It's genius. He says, this is what you like, isn't it? Yeah. This is what you, isn't it? You <laughs> ridiculous person. And you're forced to just go, yep. Yeah, yeah I'm into it's, it. It's a fair cop, governor. You got me. Another follow-up from last episode. It just suddenly occurred to me, you know, we've been talking about how virtual instruments, they're always given these kind of dramatic names to try and make them sound exciting. Of course. What if you actually tried to give an instrument the most boring name you could? What would be the most boring instrument's name? I mean, I had some ideas straight away, things like suburban sounds or satisfactory strings. Satisfactory strings. <laughs> I would have a good look at that library. I, okay, so I'm thinking, mine are going more automatopoeic. You could have something like um, plonker. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you? I, I imagine that probably exists. <laughs> in fact, I seem to remember back in our first episode, was it first or second episode when I was making fun of all those synth names? Mm. I think there is a synth called Plonk. I could well believe it. I'm on Google. I'm on Google because <laughs> I want it to be true. You see, we are savants. We just come up with things that are already there. Yep, here we go. Here we go. Are, are you ready for this? <laughs> Plonk, physical modelling percussion synthesizer. Since the dawn of time, humans have been hitting one thing with another. I mean, it's all there. How do you satirise this industry? How do you go somewhere where they haven't already gone and stuck knobs on? Yeah, any suggestions people have for boring instrument names, I would love to hear them. Okay, oboe. Adequate atmospheres. Bearable brass. <laughs> I love that. Bearable. Passable percussion. <laughs> Passable percussion. Yeah, yeah. Pleasant pianos. Ple- again, pleasant pianos. I spent a while looking for keyboard libraries a while back, and I think that's there. I think that's out in the world already. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. It's there. And you know what else? It sounds exactly like you think it would. <laughs> And it is time for your monthly news. So I'm going to start again. It's too exciting. It is. It is. I just couldn't think of a noun. Pull yourself together, man. This is the news we're talking about. I was going to say, there's people out there desperate for this news. Sauce? <laughs> Bite? <laughs> um, treat? Uh, welcome to the Project Studio Newsroom. Here, your, your most important music source, news source. Sound perfect. That's better, right? Yeah. Guys, this is, this is our third take. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do better than that. Right. And your host, idiot newsreader. <laughs> <laughs> idiot to my friends. Um, okay, okay, it's going to go smoother from here on in. I want to talk to you, Mike, and hordes of adoring public about YouTube. <clears throat> okay. YouTube does many things, but it is primarily, it seems to me, a, a music provider. Yeah. And with that in mind, what do you reckon the most popular, the most played, the most seen music video on YouTube is? Wow. Maybe maybe it's an indication of my own personal biases, but I thought that Pentatonic's Daft Punk cover was really a popular one. It was jolly popular. It's in the list, is it? It's in the list. It's not top 20. Oh, blimey. Wow, there are 20 more than that. Crumbs. I, I kind of think something like Gotcha that had a famous video. Very famous video, extremely popular song, but no, that hasn't got there either. Wow. Now, I'll give you a hint. Okay. It's a sound of the summer. All right. You have not been able to avoid it for the last, it feels like four or five years. Okay, I see. Right, blimey. Uh, well, no, okay. It, it's, it's actually been two years, but still it feels, <laughs> feels like four or five years. It brought reggaeton to the United States and Europe, whether we liked it or not. Oh, right. The first verse had to be redone by Justin Bieber. I was going to say, Despacito was the one I think of. Bingo. That's the top one. 5.8 billion 
Fuse. God. What other ones are in there then? The second, you got Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran really owns this list. He's also got number 12. Well, I mean, isn't Shape of You the most downloaded song ever? I could believe it. I really could. I think it is. I felt a moral obligation as it really started to take off to take issue with it and not enjoy it. But damn, it's a catchy track. The thing is, I don't like that song very much. I think that's one of his weaker songs. But I think it's one of those songs that because there was such anticipation for a new album Mm. and he came out with even a half-decent song, it would have sold like hotcakes. And I think it's partly because of that. And then it kind of got into the consciousness and then people started using it for ad music. Mm -hmm. Like M&S have been using it for years, haven't they? Really? It's backing on their radio ads, yeah. And I think once it got to that stage, it becomes a phenomenon that is irrespective of the quality of the song. It's a bit like that Oasis album that sold out in 10 minutes, the Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. Oh, yeah. And that was then the most common return to second-hand record shops afterwards when everyone realised it was rubbish. (laughs) It's because it had been so massively hyped and no one had been given advanced copies and all this kind of stuff and then everyone went out and bought it in a huge rush. I kind of feel it's the same like that with Shape of You. It's not that it's a bad song, but I think he's done better songs than that. But anyway, yeah, so, so Shape of You's in there. I can get that. So what else have we got? Well, that, that's the thing. We could go down and it's Gangnam Style. It's, you know, a bunch of Maroon 5, a bunch of Taylor Swift, a bunch of Katy Perry. All oh, right. It's more or less who you would expect. Yeah. But that's not all there is. <laughs> Here we come to the... Is it Dominica the Singing Nun? Oh, I would that it were. Would you accept <laughs> from famous artist Little Baby Bum... Who? I mean, sure, surely you, you're a huge fan, Mike. Okay. Little Baby Bum. <laughs> Little Baby Bum. Yeah, mm. their best video at 2.17 billion views. Wow. So that's more than a fifth of humanity if, in terms of views. <laughs> <laughs> and their hit number, their irrefutable club banger wheels on the bus no wheels on the bus yes oh god of course this is the whole statistics thing on youtube isn't we're it? going here yeah it's because people are basically playing it on loop to get their kids to sleep exactly to stop their kids from <laughs> whatever their kids were trying to do or wherever they were trying to stick their fingers it's mental it's incredible there's no end <laughs> Of these songs. Um, Wheels on the Bus isn't actually the most popular children's video. It's the most popular song on YouTube. Oh, right. But the number five most watched video of all time, just in passing, with 3.35 billion, is Masha and the Bear Recipe for Disaster. A wow. Russian animated short. Uh, of course, yeah. About a bear who wants to play checkers and a little girl who wants breakfast. Entirely in Russian. <laughs> How did- it has more views than Gangnam Style. <laughs> I just, I don't know what to do with that information. I don't know how to maintain my worldview. I mean, is it kind of like the Russian version of Rickrolling or something? At this stage, it must be. Once again, it's spoken in Russian. I mean, I guess Despacito is partly in Spanish, but besides that, you, it's English language all the way down this list. Yeah. Except for a whole cartoon in Russian. Wow. It's baffling. So, have you seen, I assume you've seen this video. What has given it this massive appeal? It's charming. It's got a bear in it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> It's one of the internal mysteries of the cosmos. There is something about these videos, though. I, I have a baby niece now. I have for about two years. Yeah. She's about two. Yeah. And there is something about these videos, these children's videos on YouTube, especially the songs, which are just crack for young viewers. Right. They just zoop, zoom in. It's something about, it's simple chord sequences. It's sort of keyboard preset techno. Four to the floor, about 100 BPM, just that kind of 
slightly sitting back tempo. Yeah. And whatever she's doing, however into whatever she was doing she was before, as soon as that comes on, that's the only thing in the entire world. <laughs> Speaking of 100 BPM, I was just um, looking at Macarena for Mixed Review, mm. which is one of the songs I hate the most. <laughs> but again, that's like 100 BPM and it's so shoddy in so many respects and yet again 11 million copies sold of that record you just can't believe it tell me more about this grudge you've been carrying now for the last 20 years well i mean there cannot be a student of my era who did not dance the silly dance moves at least <laughs> one point in their career whether ironically or not yes true but it does look awfully similar doesn't it ironically dancing it and you know just dancing it it's a fairly threadbare excuse for dancing the macarena dance mm-hmm. But some people hide behind it. <laughs> but, but what what is it about the song? Tell me, tell me what. It's like they're phoning that there's there's uh, you've got the the main hook lyric bit that most people remember, mm-hmm. but then you've got these three vocal verses that are so phoned in they sound bored and amateurish in the worst possible way. You think, <laughs> oh my god, if that were my calling card on an 11 million copy selling record, it's like, um, yeah, we need a vocal for this uh, this next production we got. Ring out that bird off Macarena. It just feels like an insult. It's like, we're going to sell this to you even though it's absolute cack. Right, we know it, you know it, and you're going to buy it anyway. It's the kind of the dark side of the Ilvis effect, isn't it? That's so interesting. So he makes genuinely brilliant satire songs, and at the same time there are people making unspeakable... I'm going to get controversial here, and I'm ready to be cooled out. Oh, wait, first, no, I've got to make a joke about the Macarena. Um, So I worked as a music teacher for, uh, for a couple of years in a Saudi Arabian school and it was a Muslim faith school. No, hang on a moment. I, was, I, I, felt, having, I felt the intake of I'm breath. I'm having real difficulty jibing that with the, like some stories we've had in the past. Yep. How have you fit all this into one life? You do what you must. We've had the, um, <laughs> the sculpting for X-rated films and then the teaching in the Saudi faith school. What? There was this wonderful imam there. This- <laughs> Who would, like, lead the prayers and stuff. And the job was complicated because they didn't want a music teacher because many of the students and the parents felt that music was haram, music was kind of unacceptable. Oh, right. And there I was teaching it to their children because it was necessary in the curriculum. Okay. And so me and the imam had lots of lovely long cups of tea. Okay. And one time I asked him about dancing in Islam. And he said, well, there are some who believe it is, some who believe it isn't. And there is one very popular dance uh, where you put out both arms like this. Right. And you turn them up the other way. And I, I was watching this and I was like, this man's doing that. He said, and then you cross them over your chest, you put them behind your head. And then you kind of shake a bit and you jump and you stay facing due east. I said, what? And he said, yeah, the Mecarina. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. I fell about because <laughs> wow, total respect. Oh, it's so good because it just pulls you in and pulls exactly. you in. And you think, oh, this is interesting, and then you realise you've been had. The ethnomusicologist to me was like fascinating. But, this reminds yeah. me of a gag that one of my because um, I went to a boarding school and one of the house, an all boys boarding school, and uh, one of the housemasters said that one time when he was showing some parents round, one of the parents asked him, a uh, housemaster. Is there a problem in the house with homosexuality? <laughs> to which he answered, completely deadpan, Well, to be honest, yes there is, but I'm trying to control myself. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh my! <laughs> and he said, oh. he said that unfortunately they didn't quite see the funny side of it. <laughs> I can imagine. 
Oh, my respect for the man grew about a hundredfold from that one story. I doubt it. Oh, Goodness yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, so let's get back to YouTube. Screeching into... You turn. Go on then. So, yeah, as you say, they put on repeat, they get far too many views, but the song that epitomises this for me, this, this children's song that I, I wanted to kind of get to, yeah. was the Baby Shark Dance. Okay, right. Have you had the pleasure of coming across the Baby Shark Dance? Not that I would know, no. I, there was a children's song about a shark in a small pond and then going out to sea and stuff. I can't remember what it was now. I don't think it had a dance with it. No, amateur stuff. That's old hat. That's done. Oh, oh right. Kids of today are all about the Baby Shark Dance. And it's great. It's a four bar long melody uh, that goes Baby Shark, do 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 do. Baby Shark, do 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 do. Baby Shark, do 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 do. Baby Shark. That's a shocking end there without the do 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 do. Then, you know, verse two is mummy and, and, and daddy, and, and you go through this list. And there are kids on the screen doing the dance. And this got very popular. Wow. And um, the Pink Fong Kids Songs and Stories, the, the geniuses responsible for this, looked at this and they thought to themselves, okay, this is popular. Can we create something else like this? Right. And some genius in the room said, no, no, we can just create this. So then they did Baby Monkey. Then they did Baby Cow. Same tune. <laughs> Almost the same dance. Oh, and no. Nothing changed. And there are... Oh my god! I don't know how many of these songs now with the same tune. And has there been a diminishing returns effect, or have they all been scoring these huge? <laughs> none of them. None of the others are quite at two point zero six billion, but billion. But they are very popular. We're, we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of views. <laughs> It, it's horrifying. It's channeling the spirit of the Ink Spots, is what it's doing. How do you mean? Well, have you heard the Ink Spots? No. Oh, it's a, a band of Black American guys from. I mean, this would have been uh, like the twenties and thirties, mm. and they basically had one hit song. I mean, the, one of their songs is one of the best-selling songs of all time. Oh yeah. Um, if I didn't care, it's called, and it's basically every song, pretty much, that was a hit after that was. Almost a carbon copy of it. Oh, interesting. You know, literally the same introduction. It was like... And then there'd always be a bit where he was singing the tune and the others were singing... Kind of harmonies in the background. And there's a middle section where there's the big guy who kind of says things like... Honey child. Absolutely. I'd cross the deepest river. And all that kind of stuff in the middle. Oh. And then at the end, they come back and do the, the harmonies again and then it finishes. Oh. And it's uncanny how similar all their songs are. And they had a huge career just doing the same song again and again and again. Just doing those. It's hard to believe, actually. You just feel that you couldn't possibly get away with it now. No, well, you would hope not. But they're brilliant. I love them. I'm going to have to have a listen. It does sound very familiar, that, that sort of template of a song. Mm, mm. I'm sure I have heard, if not that exact one, then pretty much. So this is it for a new era. This is a new age version of the Inkspot's formula. Yeah, there we go. There we go. They, they found something that works and they have sunk their teeth in and they are not going anywhere. So, okay, here we go. Monkey Banana Dance, <laughs> which is one of the offshoots, one year ago. 247 million views. So I undersold them with the hundreds of thousands <laughs> talk there. Um, so th 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 these tunes are amazing. There's more views than I will ever have for anything I ever do. Yeah, no, cumulatively. It's for a monkey banana song. It's humbling, horrifying. I'm not even sure what, but this is the new market. This is one of the things that I find actually most joy in the internet is that there's so much stuff there that is just absolutely absurd. And mm. the, the internet has made us realise how much we as humans bond over things that are 
utterly absurd. <laughs> the things that actually make us laugh and that get us, get us together in community are things like the shark do-do-do song, or whatever it is. The one my kids were showing me the other day was the apple pineapple pen song. <gasps> pen pineapple, apple That's pen. The <laughs> Incredible again, piece of art. It's so totally absurd that mm-hmm. you can't help like sending it to other people and bonding over it. It's the, it's the <laughs> currency of communication now, isn't it? It's true. If you or any of our listeners have an afternoon that they feel like losing, there is a subreddit fabulous called Deep Into YouTube. Um, <laughs> Reddit.com slash r slash Deep Into YouTube. Have you come across this one, Mike? I haven't, no, but it, I, I could just guess what it is. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, that's what I've got to be kept away from if my freelance career is to survive. <laughs> It's bad enough without someone to direct me to all the juiciest rabbit holes. If you can have a juicy rabbit hole. Let's not overthink that one. Let's run away from that as fast as we can. (laughs) One that has immediately caught my eye here is a man covering the the Super Mario theme by himself using only a trumpet in one hand and a handgun (laughs) in the other. (laughs) God bless America. Well, that was presumably shot um, because, honestly, where else? Oh, and this, I remember falling for this one forever. Music, another musical one. Girl plays double bass wearing only underwear. Well, you have you have always been a fan of sensitive double bass playing, I know. So I can see what drew you to it. Indeed. Well, no, surely, <laughs> surely this is my M.O. Her vibrato was peerless. A D. Yes, they do have G-strings. Yes, okay, they do. Good. We can make a joke about that at some point. I had to quickly remember what the tuning was. And it starts with a close crop of this beautiful young woman playing some beautiful double bass. Slowly zooms out to reveal her fully dressed and the double bass wearing underwear. Fabulous. <laughs> that is worth it. It's another box fresh facepalm this month. It's hot off the presses. It's one that's only just recently happened. Fresh off the vine. I'm an inexhaustible supply of facepalms. <laughs> but to get the perspective of this, I've got to give a bit of background. Okay, starting at about 2000, I was reviews editor at Sound on Sound magazine. Mm-hmm. And in that kind of position, you inevitably get a certain amount of response from people who think that magazine reviews in general are all in the pockets of the advertisers and not worth the paper they're printed on and all that kind of stuff. Oh, really? And I can say from personal experience, first as like an SOS reviews editor for that time, and also as a freelance reviewer since then, that SOS really are different than any other publication I've seen in that kind of sphere. Right. You know, they take their reviewing incredibly seriously. Hmm. And... There are various ways you can tell this. There's also these kind of tests you can apply to any source of reviews. The one is that, are there any negative reviews as well as positive reviews? Right, yes. And if you think of the number of review outlets that you never see a negative review. So it's like, how can you trust that they are actually critical of anything if they never give a negative review? If they never actually go negative. And SOS have handed down some absolute howlers of negative reviews. I mean, Hugh Rob Johns did one of the M Audio SP5B that killed the product dead. And the Roland V mixes when they first came out. I mean, I've given lots of bad reviews. <laughs> Some on this very podcast. Indeed. The Akai MBC 5000. Um, I was quite hard on Isotope's Neutron. Um, the Behringer Light Orotone ripoffs. The Orotone 5C reissue, which is probably one of the most contentious reviews I, I did. I also did their only ever two-star sample library for a, a library from Dark Side of the Tune called Queen's English, which was basically a bunch of speech snippets recorded by a dominatrix. Wow! But really badly. 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna just pause on this for a moment because I have so many questions. Go on, far away. The first of which is for what did you award it the second star? Well, because here's the clue. Here's the first line of the review. Mm. Hand on heart, I can testify that no sample collection has ever made me laugh as heartily. <laughs> Although this may not have been the developer's intention. <laughs> So basically, that second star was for humor value. Right. Because it was just so funny to hear all this stuff. I mean, first of all, the woman sounded so bored. She could have been saying, like, mind the gap. Okay. And it was just really technically very poorly recorded as well. There was, like, noise and bad edits and all sorts of stuff. And it was really poorly organized. Oh, it just had everything wrong with it. And was it set up so that you could, you know, pitch shift these various snippets? Or were these literally to be used as... It was literally just a bunch of wav files. There was no user interface, no nothing. There was no instruments or anything involved with it. It was, I think, only about half a CD full of them as well. It was just, it was, everything was wrong about it. <laughs> Such a poorly conceived library. Anyway, so, yeah, so that's the first acid test. You know, do you get negative reviews? The second thing is, are the reviews related to the advertising? Because you could say, well, someone will give bad review to someone who doesn't advertise and a good review to someone who does. Right, yeah. But SOS, I mean, like the M-Audio SP5 review is a great example because that was absolutely kicked to death by Hugh Robjohns. And one of the mag's biggest advertisers pulled a bunch of ads as a result. Really? And even so, SOS kind of stuck with it. It didn't, like, print an apology or anything. Else, so they just stuck with it. Oh. And actually, this is the reason why manufacturers still advertise with SOS. It's because when they do get a good review, people actually buy stuff because they get the review. People believe it. But then, of course, they complain when they get the bad review because then people really don't buy their stuff if they get the bad review. <laughs> and also, I mean, I've given reviews to people who don't advertise, really glowing reviews to people who've never advertised, like Smith Research or Nine Audio people that I just think do cracking products that people need to know about. Mm. And the third thing is... Do the reviewers ever get leaned on by the publishers to change their reviews? Right. And I can say from my own experience, I never did that with any reviewer. And as a freelance reviewer, they've never done that to me. Even when, like, the Oratone 5C review, I basically came out and said, don't buy this, buy its main competitor. When I sent them the review, I said, look, this is a fairly harsh indictment of this product. (laughs) I've done my very best to back it up, but please read this and check whether you think I need to tone it down. And they said, nope. And they ran it as it was. Mm. I mean, uh, after that review, I like had the manufacturer kind of emailing the magazine. They were they were not happy about right. it. Right. But the the thing that really nailed it down was that I'd actually let the manufacturer know all my criticisms before the review came out. This is something I do if there's a particularly contentious issue. I'll actually contact the manufacturer and say, look. I found these problems or I have these concerns about the product. Do you have any comeback on that? And they'd replied, but they'd not had any comeback on it. That puts them in a position where they are able to send you an email being like, yep, we've noticed this too. Yep. We're planning to roll out these changes. Exactly. And this kind of callback exactly. and stuff. Okay. And that's actually one of the trickiest and time, most time-consuming things about doing reviews is if you have criticisms, making sure they're really backed up and then running them by the manufacturer to make sure you're not being unfair to them or you've not missed something. It's like, anyway. So this is the background, right? Now... In that ethos of reviewing, I recently reviewed a product for SOS. Right, this is just this last month. Mm. It's a product that has to remain unnamed oh, no. for reasons that will become apparent. And as is usually the case in most of my reviews, it was not 100% positive. There were negative points that I made. But as with quite a lot of reviews, I mean, a lot of products are quite good. I actually, overall, I recommended it as good value and that yeah, basically I thought people should buy it, mm. particularly at the price it was selling for. Okay. Again, because I'd made negative comments, I thought, well, I'll, I'll send a copy to the manufacturer and get their response for it, give them a chance to respond. Mm. And they basically had an allergic reaction to it. <laughs> really? But on this occasion, they said, well, this reads like a hatchet job, like, like I'm canning the product. And we think that it reads like that because you have a product yourself, personally, that is in competition with it on the market. Right, Now, with the background that I've just told you, I hope it will be needless to say that 
this was untrue. Okay. That I had actually never even considered that the stuff I do might compete with theirs. I'd actually thought their product is entirely complementary to mine and that there'd be no reason why they would compete. And also because I, despite criticising it, I'd actually recommended people buying it. And I quite often recommend things that compete much right. more directly with the stuff I do to people. I'm just a bit daft like that. But this was hugely contentious for them. This was very difficult for them to swallow. The moment they said that, I thought, what a doofus I've been that I've unintentionally put myself, and indeed the magazine in a position, that is untenable. Right. If there is even a, a sniff of this bias argument there, Interesting. I can't actually write this review. So no matter how even-handed I felt my review was in like abstract terms, mm -mm -mm. people aren't going to trust the reviews if there's that kind of whiff to it. So basically I had to contact the mag and say, look, sorry, I can't do this review. Oh, Mike, that's so frustrating. Also because with any review that is like positive and negative and you're kind of sitting on the fence a little bit about what your opinion is, mm. those are the most difficult reviews to write anyway because you're having to really make sure you've got all the examples of why you don't like this thing absolutely nailed down. Yes, <sighs> it's not just coming up with funny ways of saying how good it is or funny ways of saying how awful it is you actually have to get into some nuance yeah so i've been wrestling with this thing and then to face by myself and realize that i had done that entirely for nothing oh, so yeah. that i think the moral is you know it's not enough to be honest in an abstract sense as a reviewer you actually have to be seen to be honest so yeah that's a lesson for me i just need to kind of be a little bit more imaginative about what people might be thinking in that respect that is such a shame and i mean this manufacturer we're, we're, um okay we're going to call the product the Fisher-Price play piano, because it's hard to speak in hypotheticals. So the makers, Fisher-Price, are rolling the dice here because presumably if it's a major release, Sound on Sound is going to publish a review. Yes. And it, they're going to give it to a different reviewer who may well be less charitable with the fact that the cow sound doesn't sound anything like a cow <laughs> and the jingly bells can get annoying after a while. It is. I mean, if nothing else, hopefully at least this story just helps underline that SOS reviews can be trusted. You know, the fact that I've done a review like that that's taken me like two or three days work. Right. And I have chosen to can it because I don't want to put SOS in that position. And as a member of SOS, I would have done that too. That is unbelievably frustrating. So, I mean, I wonder if that even did get back to the creators or if this was just a legal team trying to justify their own existence. No, no, I think it was actually the manufacturers themselves. Well, that is a shame. But I, I wonder if I can um, leaven this experience slightly by telling you that I have managed to track down yeah. the original copy uh, written for the Queen's English Sample Library. <laughs> and I am in a position, like I'm in a position to read it to you right, right now. <laughs> in this spoken sample library, unexpected vernacular contrasts with wholesome British correctness, delivering dramatic audio clips without the licensing hassles from Hollywood. <laughs> Drawing on the disciplinary pronouncements of London-based dominatrix Miss T, producers can add new life to composition through, check it out, through urban street jargon. Yes. Need a bit of that. Master and slave instruction, mm -hmm. retro cookbook text. Yes. Fetish description and other miscellaneous sound bites. Tone is bossy, imperious and crisp. <laughs> I kind of want, if it wasn't $30... I might buy this. I really <laughs> well, you know what I need to do? I need to get a house beat, right? Just any old house beat, and just layer a few of those samples along as a little trailer for the listeners. Because I'm sure I still have it in my archive somewhere, just to get a flavour of it. I think that's a brilliant idea. I mean, sure there's an audio demo of Queen's English. To be honest, I have, I've had real trouble even finding the copy. The first <laughs> link, you'll be pleased to know, is your review. Before anything <laughs> from the makers... I wonder if that's a reason why it didn't succeed. <laughs> well, no, I think you've signal boosted it. If I'm honest, I think it's got far more attention than it might otherwise have done. It's going to become a kind of 
of cult classic. Yeah, I think so. I have a question here, courtesy of our Facebook page, which, as you all know, is facebook.com slash pstbbooks. This question comes to us from Mark. Take it away, Mark. Mm. Mark says, hi there, hi, I'm now channeling Mark. Okay, hello, Mark. Now... It's a good question, but I'll be honest, the, the main reason that Mark has this platform is his first line, the first line on this question. <clears throat> a question for my two favourite master breakers. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Oh, that, is, that is fabulous. Mark, you are, you are on our level. So th- thank you for that. We could move on. We could just finish the section here. I'm not sure if yeah, we're Yeah, I, I think it's all downhill from here. I'm not sure if we're going to beat that. I am friends, Mark says, with a number of music studio sort of people. Oh, right. Call it charity, call it anthropological curiosity, but there you are. <laughs> At any rate, they're very decent sorts until we go anywhere with any sort of background music playing. All at once, our conversation is derailed into discussions of the track's use of delimiting chain-compressed hujimuatsits <laughs> and whether the mid-lows or the low-highs have more bump or noise or crunch or presence. Yeah, that does sound like me. Right. Uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> Do you feel personally attacked by this question? I, I, I think that could possibly come from my daughter. Right. Listening to me in the car. <laughs> they were just complaining about it the other day. So perhaps one of your daughters is in fact the eponymous Mark. Um, Although it is a bit disturbing though if that was the title. And it's one of my daughters. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go there. I, you know what? It's not good. You're right. Can we edit that out? <laughs> not just out of um, the podcast, but out of reality. Yeah, I think so. We've got that thing from Men in Black that I can just point into the Skype camera and we'll raise ourselves. Brave new world. Go on, sorry. Uh, I'm honoured to be part of this strange ritual, but often feel a little left out. What are some fail-proof terms and phrases I can drop in to feel part of the clan? Regards, Mark. Oh, Wow. Wow, have you got any to start us off? I'm still processing. Um, my go-to in all situations is the catch-all phrase, and I may have even mentioned it on the podcast before, subtle processing. It's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> it's worked for me for the last 12 years. If someone is asking you to compare two things and you can't tell the difference, compliment their subtle processing. A, a good one is you can say, oh, well, they've just ripped off early Marvin Gaye, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I am a huge fan of that. Yes, because then it sounds like you know the like the, the really lost Marvin Gaye tracks. Of course, you can go. Yeah, you know, Soul Kitchen. It's that one, the B side. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it up, and it'll make you look like you're you're deep into the Gred record. There's got to be a few artists who you can do that with. I'm sure. Apex Twin. Yeah. Oh, Apex Twin covered that. Yeah. This is an Aretha Franklin B side, <laughs> or just like go adjective noun and say that it's an old blues singer you know this is <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is wobbly jefferson yeah no this is, a, this is a delta blues god why have they done all this stuff to it i may have been guilty of that a few times in the past yeah the danger about this is that basically i end up saying things that i would actually say normally so it's like targeted <laughs> absolutely myself what we need from you here is evergreens things that can be said to any instrument for for example something that, that i have definitely done in the past just listen for the quietest instrument you can hear mm. so try and kind of dig down through the vocals through whatever kind of paddy leady stuff mm, is, there, mm. is there a shaker in the background is there some kind of clavin over doing something for oh yeah i'm liking this and then just say oh i love what they've done with the washboard <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter how good or bad the part is just find something obscure and compliment it yeah no i, I completely get that i'm sure you could do something a little bit like that with some kind of harmony or something you go, <laughs> oh you know flat sevens they get me every yes. time or oh, even better actually this is a great one because this couldn't be checked 
Is you go, oh, did you hear it? It was a bad edit. Oh, Mike, you genius. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. That would be a fabulous one. That's exactly it. Just, <laughs> or better still, don't bring it to them. Have them come to you. Just kind of, as you're talking, do a very obvious flinch. Yeah. As if you just received a small electric shock or, <laughs> or, or smelt, smelt some rotten food. And if, if they ask what's okay, you say, oh, did, she's not here. Oh. I mean, didn't you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of assumption that, well, I mean, it was obvious. <laughs> Oh, we're getting into a rich vein here. It's all these things that you can say that make you look like you've got these golden ears or something. Completely. Or you've got this serious cred. You can call anything auto-tuned. Give a little sneer. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the one that my kids always complain about. I'm always complaining about people sounding like synths. Oh, are you gonna, here's another one. If you're going on the borrowed cred thing, you could go, oh, yeah, I, I once played that at school. <laughs> Now, now, this does rely on you knowing something about when this song was released. This one can backfire pretty magnificently if it is, for example, Despacito. I suppose it could. Or you could say, oh, that's another one. Oh, I worked at the studio where they did that. Oh, that's not bad. It's another good one. That's not bad. It's not particularly good in my case because the studio I've done a bit of work at recently has loads of David Hasselhoff gold records on the <laughs> Hey, own it, Mike. Lean in. I think that is something to be proud of. You're one of the Hofsters now. Okay, what other ideas? There are words that can just be chucked in anywhere. Say polyrhythm. Oh, yeah. I'll take your polyrhythm and I'll up you to hypermeter. What on earth is a hyper... Okay, I'll take your hypermeter <laughs> and up you to uh, polytonality. That is good. Yeah, no, I agree. That, that is good. Uh, it's for people who don't know what sevenths are. <laughs> they just say, ah, it's bitonal. Um, or m microtonal? You can, go, you can go big or little. If you say microtonal, someone might actually play a gamelan or something and say, what, what do you mean microtonal? It's got nothing to do with microtonal. And you'll basically have blown your cover. Yeah. There and then. It's got to be things that are utterly uncheckable. I mean, it, it, it's similar to your first, but there's always something in, yeah, no, this is cool. Have you heard the original? <laughs> <laughs> I do that like the worst person at a party. Anytime I hear someone listening to Top Loaders dancing in the moonlight. Oh, yes. Since I was 16 and learnt that it was, in fact, a cover, yep. every single person who's had the audacity to listen to it in my presence <laughs> has been informed in no uncertain terms. Has been wittened. Has been wittened without warning or consent. It's, um, it's brutal. I think we've got some good contenders there, though. I mean, that would last you through a good half an hour. Because, I mean, the great thing is that would lead to a whole discussion and they go, oh, did you notice one? And then they'll probably mention a whole bunch of edits that they've noticed or something, or they'll try and out-edit you. And in the middle of which, you can go, oh, there it went again. Kind of do a double take. More likely, they'll all go, yeah, yeah, no, I, I heard it that time. Ugh. God, that was, <laughs> Always what the most satisfying bluffs are the ones where you can get people to agree with you. <laughs> the ones where you can get people riding along. I, compl I couldn't oh, agree Oh, I know more. that Marvin Gaye one. Isn't it <laughs> yes, that one that goes, tum, 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 tum? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> And it's time to share our monthly jam. But what would jam be without a slice of toast? Yeah, strangely soothing, that particular toast. <laughs> I'm sitting at my desk on a Monday morning, <laughs> holding a sieve, scratching it with my fingernails at different places. <laughs> what, what is life? You see, this is where podcasts will always let down the listener by not being able to see the visuals. Well, look, I'll tell you this. It looks very respectable, professional, and my mother would be proud. I think she would. Well, I mean, she taught you to use that scene. Precisely. This is, this is an ancient family technique. So, yes, Mike, what's your jam? Now, I have seen 
an album cover from this artist. <laughs> yeah, well, I felt I needed to prepare you because it's a particularly powerful one this month. I, I Following the tidal wave of derision that I had from, from mentioning Phantom of the Opera on episode number seven or whatever it was. Much deserved. <laughs> I figured it was time to double down <laughs> and hit you with my absolute guiltiest listening pleasure. Oh. So my jam this month is an album by guitar virtuoso Ingrid Melstein called Fire and Ice. Oh. Just maybe paint a picture of this cover for the listeners. What do you see in this cover? Okay, the, <laughs> the scene is set. Imagine a long, curly-haired glam rock guitarist. Now, he's lunging. This isn't your daddy's lunge, though. This is some yogic, tantric nonsense of a deep lunge, hand frozen in midair after an epic strum on a guitar, which <laughs> seems to through means not known to man, created a jet of flame which spirals around his hands and out into the Icelandic wasteland that, that he's kind of in the center of. I, you know, it's a wonder there aren't dragons. Give us some more details about his clothing. I think his clothing holds so many jewels. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, the shirt is ruffled. Ruffled to within an inch of its life. There is fabric there for a hundred children's shirts. But no, this man has ruffled it all onto himself and, and a jacket that can only be described as dandy. It's got tassels all the way down the arms. <laughs> kind of cowboy style. Abs yeah, yeah, yeah. His boots are kind of cowboy boots with those big buckles on them. And I cannot but assume that those trousers are leather. Oh, no. I, got I, th be. I think it's implied, Mike, that those trousers are tight, hot <laughs> leather. The hair is kind of bouffant and ratty at the same time. I have been looking forward to this day, Mike, because when we were first emailing back and forth talking about maybe making a podcast, Mike suggested the Jam of the Month segment and said it could be a chance to share some of our guiltier pleasures, such as... And sent me a video of this self-same person. And I, I can only assume that the last nine months of our lives have just been him waiting. Waiting to find a way to crowbar this in. <laughs> yeah, I've been poised. Well, I mean, if you look at him on this on this album cover, he's in a poised position. He's ready to lunge, isn't he? Crouching tiger, if ever I've seen him. He's ready one. to spring into the air. You also notice how the little um, flaming little squiggle mm. is clearly meant to be an ampersand. Oh. He's meant to be in an icy wasteland with an ampersand, but it's so rubbishly done that you can't really tell to start with. It's really badly done. And, and why is it an ampersand? Oh, fire and ice, right? You're catching up now to the full. This art has levels, guys. But it, my favorite. My favourite bit about this whole cover image is that it appears that his guitar is unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> I see no cables in shots. All right. To me, there's only one thing this is missing. You could not have more of an 80s hair metal cliche, really, if you tried, with the exception that it has no mythical creatures in it. I, I was saying dragon in my first... My in first... which case, I'll tell you what you should do. Go to Google, type in Ingvi Malmsteen, Trilogy, and tell me what you see. One moment, please, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just gonna have my shot at. Oh my! I got. I spelt Ingi right first time. And for anyone who's seen how it's spelt, that's pretty damn impressive. Trilogy. Oh, oh no, there it is. There, there's the dragon. Three-headed dragon. In case anyone was curious. And he is busy deflecting its flame with his guitar in an identical lunge. <laughs> the self-same <laughs> pose, which maybe is just the only one he does. I figure. I mean, maybe it might be some debilitating disability that he has. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of his uh, one of his legs is just stuck in that position. Now you see that as him defending himself with the guitar. I'm not sure if maybe the dragon is shooting guitars at him, and this is just the first one to make contact. I mean, could be. 
or he's shooting flame at the dragon. Or he's shooting flame at a poor defenseless dragon. There are so many questions. <laughs> so many readings. <laughs> but I mean, that's just the cover of the that's just the cover of the album, but it goes on and on and on. There's a picture of him with guitars strewn over the, the front of a black Ferrari. There's there's lots more of the kind of Baroque guitar trimmings. So there are. There's a, a portrait of him surrounded in flames. Oh, that's very adamanty. <laughs> Oh, and then I'll give you some of the song titles, right? <clears throat> you ready? I love that we've got this much pleasure from this album before talking about a single note that is played on it. Perpetual is the first one. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Leviathan. <laughs> <laughs> These are all deeply self-aware, as you can imagine. Um, Fire and Ice, of course, the title thing. Naturally. Final Curtain. Mm. And my personal favourite... How many miles to Babylon? Okay, a sort of TripAdvisor's <laughs> themed... It's this kind of vaguely mystical quest thing going on. <laughs> and then, of course, any album has credits on it, doesn't it? Mm. And it starts off in the way you might hope. He's thanking Erica Malmsteen. I'm assuming he's his mum or his, his, yeah. his partner or whatever. But it doesn't take long before you get names like Niccolo Paganini, J.S. Bach, <laughs> Antonio Vivaldi, <laughs> Ludwig van Beethoven, Jimi Hendrix... <laughs> Then he starts riffing further. H.P. Lovecraft, Enzo Ferrari. Oh my goodness and me. unbelievably, in a kind of an irony eating itself thing, Monty Python's Flying Circus. It's like, how can you do a record <laughs> like this and appreciate Monty Python's Flying Circus? My brain exploded at that point. Oh, that's amazing. I'm, I mean, I'm glad those grifters are finally getting some recognition that Bach can now chuck on his CV that he was thanked on the album Fire and Ice. <laughs> and now, based on all of that, surely you can conjure up very quickly, a perfect image of how this music sounds. You know, you got your, your clicky kick, you've got a big epic snare, endless wailing guitar solos with too many notes and lots of ludicrously wide vibrato, mm-hmm. portentous church organs and wordless choirs and yes. horrible SNS synths from the 90s that have faded up a bit too high and they kind of sound really cheap and dated. It's sort of Rammstein meets Dream Theatre in my head, yeah. is more or less where I am. And there's this whole undercurrent of him ripping off any surface veneer of classical medieval baroque music he can <laughs> i mean within 10 <laughs> seconds of the album starting you get cheesy kind of harpsichord riff coming in oh. and this this song how many miles to babylon is an absolute classic you know it starts with timpani strings flute and some kind of fake lute pastiche right with him whittling away on guitar over the lot and then it hits a massive church organ chord that is mm. basically the chord from the beginning of Bach's Toccata and Fugue God. that massive diminished seventh with a dissonant note in the bass oh yeah yeah, yeah the, the rising diminished seventh that's all before the first proper riff of the song <laughs> <laughs> it's just a so this is this is all prelude. And of course, I mean, everyone's seen this in Spinal Tap, but literally there's a song called No Mercy, mm. where it's going, I will show no mercy. There's the really, really high tenor singer who's singing the lead yeah. with a ludicrously vibrato again. Oh. And it's going, it's all this kind of heavy, really fast rock out. And then I swear to God, it cuts straight to... It's just... Beyond parody. And there's a bit of like Baroque counterpoint in the middle of another song. And Of course there is. It's just everywhere. I mean, that's the, my favourite bit of it. Well, Mike, I, so what I need to know is what, what layer of irony you are on. Do you enjoy <laughs> this album? Because I'm, I'm 
get, I'm detecting a level of glee here. A very serious glee. Which makes me think that as well as appreciating its ridiculousness, you also kind of jam down to these tracks. Oh, I'm totally on board. Basically, <laughs> this is a record, and in fact, trilogy before it. These are records that when my brother was going through a big stage of all the hair, kind of hair metal bands, mm. he got into him and that kind of clued me up to him. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was a time when I really didn't know very much popular music at all because I was classically trained and I was in that kind of thing. Mm-mm. And really, I got into it in a distressingly unironic way as a kid. <laughs> but the thing is, it wasn't for any of the trappings of it. I just had it on cassette. It was literally the music that I was tripping out to. So it wasn't any of the hair or the posturing or anything. Okay. All said and done, the music is actually quite interesting. It has like bona fide key changes in it. It does just weird dramatic things like that. <laughs> so I just have such a soft spot for it. Yeah. And the great thing about it is that as I've got older and the true irony of it has increased I also now find it hysterically funny because everything (laughs) is like a a parody of itself I didn't read you any lyrics did I? Not yet no we haven't touched on the songs themselves it's just an uninterrupted stream of near meaningless doggerel I'll give you a, a couple of highlights here right yes please this is from How Many Miles to Babylon right it goes in this our endless searching for the Holy Grail, so it's like Arthurian <laughs> Naturally, another bit like naturally. that. There is no sleep for the souls who find no rest. Ships of the desert without rigs or sails. It's like what well, isn't that camels? I think he's referring to camels. <laughs> it's like how does this relate to anything? Flotsam and Jetsam drifting from the west. That's the end of that kind of four-line bunch. It's like, makes no sense at all. Nothing's been said. What, what was that second line one more time? The second line was, there is no sleep for the souls who find no rest. Right. Illuminating the blindingly obvious. Yeah, well, it seems a little tautologist. <laughs> My favourite fact about the souls who find no rest is that they don't sleep. Like, that, that's not really... Crumbs, how did you deduce that? <laughs> Sherlock, you've done it again. Oh, I've got an even better no Sherlock moment for you coming up. Oh, this is actually yes, my favourite set of lyrics in the thing. And it's all build up to the final line, right? Today I read in a book that some are meant to live forever. There's also a nightmare where our dying has no end. If I let my will surrender and my flesh be crucified, in his name my sins will be sublime. Forever is a long, long time. Oh, <laughs> that is, that's poetry, Mike. That is absolutely... That's absolute nonsense. <laughs> it's like it is Spinal Tap. But you see, this is what elevates it for me, just beyond it being funny in its own right in hindsight. Because the question is, when do you think this record was made? I was going to say from these, I'm looking at 80s, mid to late, uh, 87. This was released in 1992. Really? Six months after... Never mind. Oh wow. Okay, so I assume this is I assume this was the centre of the storm, but no, this is And a full eight years after Spinal Tap had pilloried exactly all those things. Exactly what this How is. How could you exist in the world for eight years in hair metal and not have seen Spinal Tap? You can't believe how the hell could you make a record like that? This is more the darkness than um Adam and the Ants, then. This is a, a very self-conscious um discussion of the genre. But the thing is, I don't think he actually has insight. Oh, really? He takes himself seriously. That's what's so incredible. I mean, like, I was looking on the net for, like, live performances and stuff, and there's a recording in 2002 that he did in Japan with the New Japan Philharmonic, where he does... His concerto suite for electric guitar and orchestra. Of course he has one of those. Which he composed in 1998. Has, has he got a haircut? <laughs> oh no, and he's doing it entirely straight. And he's playing it like an utter c- 
You think, oh my god, what a horrific person this guy is. Oh, I, okay. Well, that, that'll be one of the links going up because I have to see. He's still releasing albums. 2016 was his latest album, World on Fire. Of course. Credits include the Cantorum Choral Society and the Miami Dade Baroque String Orchestra. So you know he's up to his old trip. Hasn't felt the need to travel very far away from his source material. Oh, just again, one of those records that I can pull out and it will always bring a smile to my face. That's magnificent, Mike. I mean, he is genuinely an incredible guitar. Guitarist, mm. technically right. and occasionally he stops whittling long enough to actually do something expressive with the instrument you go yeah that's actually really quite good <laughs> but that is an occasional respite rather than the norm it is it is although i just love the whole thing in an entirely unironic <laughs> way as well as just finding it so funny <laughs> well we don't know if it's attainable that same level of appreciation but we encourage you to go and try yeah definitely check out no mercy because that break is just something to live and die for <sighs> i mean that's what i'm going to do as soon as we are finished recording that is my next <laughs> Step. Forget that pretentious Russian movie that you recommended. I'm going on a binge of hair metal. <laughs> and John, you were telling me that we have an exciting new sponsor this month. A company called Frontier, I believe. The person-centred mic stand company. What they do is, is really quite incredible. They have a piece of head apparatus, which allows you to mount uh, a microphone much in the manner of a head torch. Um, so whatever you look at gets recorded. This was... It's kind of the GoPro of audio recording. This comes with optional laser sights, which you can use to kind of really pinpoint what you're recording. How hilarious. Can you imagine a microphone with a laser sight? How stupid would that be? It's perfect for those live situations where you have stage invaders, as we've previously discussed. <laughs> as we have. As we have alluded to in the past. Mm. Now, of course, of utmost priority to Frontier is the safety and security of your microphone. So these head supports are full face and head mask in leather, um, a zip for the mouth. I'm not entirely sure what the function of that is, but, but there is a zip <laughs> over the mouth. Um, and, and it straps up along the back and a microphone on the top. Yeah. So, well, you were just trying out a review sample, weren't you? I was. I was giving that a shot for, for recording some dulcimer. Does it ship with some talcum powder? It comes with quite a lot of talcum powder. More talcum powder than I am comfortable owning. Well, I suppose that shows that they have faith in the longevity of the product. This is a product you're going to want to go on using year after year. You will want yours forever, but I have very sad news, which is to say that um, they're going to stop producing these. Oh, no. It seems that they have been, if anything, too successful, and anyone who could possibly want a Frontier now has one. This is a disaster. Are there, are there any still left on the market? There is one, mic, which they are auctioning off right now. And you can get access to that. Go to uh, www.frontierwebsiteonline.gov mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and use our special podcast code, an unusual promotional code, <laughs> in as much as it actually begins with a space. I think that might be a security thing. <laughs> the, the full promotional code you'll need to type in at checkout <laughs> is space... The final frontier. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, I'm definitely going to boldly go over there immediately and check it out. I'm looking at my um, the, the recording going up on the screen. <laughs> For that pun, I made our listeners suffer oh, so much. It was worth it. Totally worth it. So, yeah, John, you got anything happening this month that you want to cl clue people up on? Any news? I'm, I'm entirely on holiday this month in London, Oxford, and then, and then sunny Mexico, running away from the European winter. All very good. So no, leave me alone with all your live gig offers. I'm going to probably be stuck knee deep in mixed feedback. Right. 
Is that the whole month? Well, I've just launched a, uh, a mix competition for my Cambridge MT patrons. Awesome. And the last one I did a couple of years back, and it was like two weeks of listening to mixes of the same track. Different mixes <laughs> of the same track. It's going to be the same again. My goodness. Yeah. I, I mean, in those ones, it must be the people who do something really wild that break up the day. Yeah, I, I suppose it is. Someone who's decided to just put reverse reverb on everything. I think it's one of the good things about it, but... Yeah, anyway, so that's going on at the moment. So, yeah, if you want to follow that, then check out the Cambridge MT site. And as ever, you can find us on Twitter at PSTB Tweets and on Facebook at facebook.com slash PSTB Books. We look forward to seeing you there. Of course, if you want to email us anything, maybe some more suggestions of boring instrument names. Absolutely, get those in. Um, we're on tea break at projectstudioteabreak.com. And I think that's it, isn't it? Happy New Year and... Tara Pet? What was our sign off? Oh, I can't remember now. I mean, I, I should go, I will show no mercy. <laughs> I think so. I think we, we fade out over your, <laughs> your cover of that. <laughs>